Welcome to the Farcast. Over 200 episodes and still going strong, bringing you experts and insiders to help you navigate the investing landscape. Now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week, the 17th day of February. Here we go. It looks like the Russians are backing off, or at least enough people think that they are backing off, that the markets are backing up. That's a good problem to have, but perhaps a short respite. Could we all get whipsawed here by a little bit of false intention here that people are going to misread a bit? I think that this is a good time for all of us to act like we're from Missouri, the show me state, and say, actually show me. We want to see those satellite photos of actual troop numbers declining on those various points along the Ukrainian border. They're hanging out in five or six different spots there. Uh, Markets have settled in a little bit, a couple of days of a sort of lower volatility. Seems like a good thing. Earnings season continues strong. Economic data continues strong. And the Fed still says they're on course for lots of hikes or a few hikes or One thing you can hear from the Fed, ladies and gentlemen, is hikes. So if you're going to count on something in a transition to anything, a transition to tighter monetary policy is in front of us, and that has clear implications for stocks. It has clear implications for those who do fundamental valuations and look at discount rates and uh, to come up with uh, discounted cash flow models and other things. And it is why there's going to be continued pressure on tech. And I think a rather long-term trend towards value as we move forward through the balance of 2022. Volatility will be our friend and politics will continue to complicate everything as usual. Jim Labenthal is joining us this morning, uh, our, our, our great friend from Sarity Partners and CNBC, Dan Mahaffey talking about the changes in Ukraine and elsewhere. Don't take your eye off of China, folks. And we have some, we have some uh, Federal Reserve nominees that are not making it through the Senate right now. Republicans are not showing up to vote. How about that? They don't like you. They're just not going to vote on you. That's an old trick, too. We've seen it before. Uh, that's that's continuing. And uh, finally, Tony Fratto, uh, the great Tony Fratto in segment three this morning. Uh, before we get to uh, Jim Labenthal, a quick word about a dear friend who passed away this week. P.J. O'Rourke was a longtime buddy of mine and uh, for the curmudgeonly guy he played in public, there was not a sweeter man in private. And he was just as funny uh, in private, I, I, I promise. And I spent a number of late nights with PJ marinating ice cubes, as my friend Art Cashin likes to say. We were marinating ice cubes and a lot of scotch. And the ice cubes didn't have a lot of time to marinate, uh, I'll, uh, I assure you. Uh, and he was funny and he was beyond smart. Um, uh, Here's a quick uh, passage from PJ uh, on Republicans. He said, I'd really like a new label. Uh, He said, Republicans, he said, I don't know what to call us, but we're opposed to government spending, Kennedy kids, seatbelt laws, uh, being soft on nuclear power, busing our kids anywhere other than Yale, trailer courts near our vacation homes, Gary Hart, all tiny third world countries that don't have banking secrecy laws. Uh, We're against aerobics, the UN, taxation and tax loopholes and and jewelry on men. 
We're in favor of guns, drugs, fast car, free love, if our wives don't find out, a sound dollar, cleaner environment, uh, poor people should cut it out with graffiti, a, a strong military with spiffy uniforms, uh, Star Wars and anything else that scares the Ruskies. We want a firm stand on the Middle East, uh, raise their buildings, burn their crops, plow the earth with salt and sell the population into bondage. We don't care, we're Republicans. There are thousands of people in America who feel this way, especially after three or four drinks. If all of us would unite and work together, we could give this country, well, a really bad hangover. This is why my friend PJ was so brilliant. And he would riff like that. Now he wrote brilliantly, but he would riff like that uh, after that second cocktail. And everybody in the room would be on the floor. And the only time you would get upset with him was when he would stop talking. You just wanted him to go on. So my very dear friend who left us much too early at 74 years old, PJ O'Rourke, we, we hope that you are uh, this morning uh, singing with the angels uh, and having a great time making God laugh. Uh, this is God's gain, I promise folks. Um, our sympathies to his, to his wife, Tina, and his three children he has a young son still in high school. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, thanks for your thoughts. And thanks for so many of you who knew I was friends with PJ and your notes uh, about him. Uh, I, I, last year, I'll tell you one quick anecdote. Uh, last year, uh, there are five or six of us who are close friends with PJ. And I couldn't think about what to get these close friends of mine for Christmas. So I ordered PJ, I think, wrote 22 different books. I ordered a half dozen or eight copies of all 22 books. And I called him and I said, I'm giving them to these friends of ours. This is my Christmas present. May I ship them to you? Would you sign 22 copies for eight different people, put them back in the boxes, and I'll give you the shipping labels. I'll pay for the FedEx. He said, what a great, wonderful idea. Of course, I'll do it. And so uh, eight of us, and I sent one to myself, just so you know have these complete collections of all of PJ's books, all signed by PJ just a year ago after he wrote his, I think it was his 22nd book, but, but they are, I've been going through them here in my study and, and it just, it, I just smile. Every time you go through PJ stuff, you end up smiling. Jim Labenthal is our partner at Serity Partners. He is our great friend uh, on CNBC and our great friend in life. Uh, words of wisdom from Jim, as we always say on the Farcast, listen to Labenthal. Good morning, Jim. Michael, good morning to you. How are you? Thank you for the lovely introduction always you give it. Oh, my, my man. We're, we're so happy to have you here and your wise counsel is always much appreciated by all of our listeners. Um, we were on a halftime report to, uh, together yesterday. Uh, uh, Mr. Wapner was uh, was kind of riding you a little hard yesterday. The Twitterverse went nuts. What's what's what's? Do you, have you all had a falling out? No, no. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because it was it was one of our classic uh, interactions, me and the judge. And frankly, I was fine with it. Okay, I had a stop. Of course, you were. I mean, it was just this is just what we do for work, right? But but it is. That's exactly yeah. what it is. And frankly, I get benefit from it. <clears throat> I mean, it's not like I, I love getting into a fist fight with the judge or anyone else on the show, but you know, when he pushes back on my investment thesis and he pushes hard, I damn well better be able to defend it. Yes. And frankly, it, it anneals the investment thesis. Um, I came in strongly convinced that the move downwards was ridiculous yesterday. And um, as, as I laid it out and as he tried to push holes in it, 
I felt more convinced uh, in the investment thesis. Um, by the way, this is just one stock, Michael. And I, I listened to the uh, earlier part of the show yesterday where he was giving you all grief because that is our irascible Judge Wapner, yeah. um, giving us all grief about the state of the markets, the state of the world, which uh, if you don't mind the segue from the individual stock to the markets overall, look, we've got volatility. We live with it. This is the price you pay for returns uh, in the stock market that are much better than what you're going to get in cash or bonds. And yeah, there's volatility this year, but there's going to be positive returns, I believe, as well. I kind of feel that way, too, though. Uh, I'm hearing concerns and I'm hearing concerns from some former Fed governors. I'm going to talk uh, with Tony Fratto in our third segment about some of these concerns from the Fed governors that the Fed's behind the curve. Yeah, we keep hearing that they should have done more. They should do more now. All of that and all of the what happens if they don't act a little bit more aggressively and they kind of follow inflation higher and it and it gets out of hand. And the more I listen to them, the more I think, Jim, nobody really has any idea what's going to happen with the inflation we have. And there are almost as many voices that think that inflation is going to cure itself, right? I mean, between a fiscal cliff and higher prices, there's this notion, ladies and gentlemen, that inflation will cure inflation in that uh, it, it, when, when milk gets to $12 a, ga $12 a gallon, people stop buying milk. Now, that's a ridiculous price. I'm not suggesting that. Let's just be clear. But uh, at some point, when they stop paying the prices, the prices come down. Jim, what are you thinking about inflation and what that's going to mean for investors to navigate the markets? So in the warm confines of the forecast, I can speak at a little bit greater length than I can uh, when we're on the show together. Um, let me start by saying that I am in the camp that inflation is likely to take care of itself. Um, note my word choice, is likely. This is not an outcome either way that is knowable in advance. We can do our best to predict, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, I do that on the basis of believing, number one, that from a goods point of view, where inflation has come in, um, that has been supply chain shortages. You know, the supply chain bottlenecks were largely a cause of the virus, and that is quickly, rapidly going away uh, globally. Uh, I don't know if anybody caught this news, but Norway has basically called an end to uh, to uh, the pandemic. Uh, I find that kind of interesting. I find it an omen of what's to come in other countries where people just say, enough, we're moving forward. And with that, uh, supply chains will unclog, ports will unclog, freight will start shipping again. Uh, computer chips, which are already getting into cars, will increase production and drive down prices. So goods are in the process of taking care of themselves when it comes to inflation. On wages, which is the other half, and frankly, the more important part of inflation, look, you've had a, you've had a uh, supply shortage of labor. And why is that? It was unemployment benefits that were uh, too, too large, but got us through the pandemic. Better to have them too large and get yes. us through the pandemic. It's taken some time for those excess savings to wear off. They clearly are. The labor force participation rate is picking up. Um, for those of us who are worried about the cost of living adjustments and the wage price spiral of the 70s, it's less likely now because there's a heck of a lot less unionized workers um, than there were 40, 50 years ago. So I, this, that's my long-winded way, again, in the warm confines of the forecast. Yeah, so uh, I saying, won't tell anybody. I'll, I'll, I, keep it, I'll keep it all to myself, yeah. Yeah, but I think inflation will take care of itself. Um, so the Fed may come out of the gate storming with 50 basis points. Frankly, I hope they do because the market's given them cover. But this six, seven rate hike projection, I think that's very premature. 
I like that, Jim, that the, you hope that they do because the markets will give them cover. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, what we're, what, and I, I agree with that actually, and I, and I have not been an advocate of the half a point increase, uh, but there's been so much banter about it now. There's so much out there that's expected and that has been pre-sold by the Fed's open mouth committee that it, I think it won't cause a great deal of shock. Uh, and 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 could do and could do some and could do some good. One thing that struck me though, Jim, as you're looking for the labor force participation rate, ladies and gentlemen, this is the number of workers, potential workers. Not everybody's defined as a potential worker in the United States. You have to be between the ages of what, 16 and 65, Jim. Is that right? 67, like somewhere that. on the high end. Yeah. So it's you're in those ages uh, and you are able. Uh, able to work. And that workforce available right now in the U.S. is about half the population. It's about 150 million people are working in, uh, right now out of 330 million. In the Fed's last statement, I'm, I'm getting to my point, promise. In the Fed's last statement, they said we, are, we recognize now that we are at maximum employment. That was a big change in that statement. They'd been approaching it before. Nobody really talked about it, kind of a shock to me, but maximum employment tells me that they're not looking for a significant pickup in the workforce participation, right? This is, this is what we're gonna see and those people don't wanna come back to work was my interpretation. Am I getting it wrong? What, what does that maximum employment mean to you? Well, you know, I did catch the phrase and I didn't spend too much time on it because really what it said to me is the Fed's gonna raise rates. Um, it really just said like they, they're fully done with the inflation is transitory. We're going to sit on the sidelines. Um, forgive me if I take your question in a different direction, the one that I want to go. But, you know, when we talk about it's kind of a real professional, Paul. <laughs> uh, at least I'm letting you know ahead of time. But, um, you know, when we talk about maximum employment, when we talk about Fed rate hikes, we put this in the context of fighting inflation. You know, it's like it's, it's 1982 and Paul Volcker's at large and in charge. I would characterize it differently. I would characterize it as normalizing monetary policy. Um, and this is very important to you and to me, Michael, uh, from the point of view of we advise our clients how to invest their money. And for many, many, many years, we haven't been able to advise them to invest in bonds. The, the yield on them has been much lower than inflation. Now, I am not, I don't want anybody, especially you, Michael, to say, hey, I'm calling for 5% interest rates or something like that. Um, that would be calamitous to the economy and the stock market, at least if done you know, quickly. But bringing back interest rates from zero will allow more normal investment allocation decisions. It will allow people to actually stay in cash, invest in bonds. Um, and while on the margins, what I've just said will be negative for the stock market, that's only in the short term. In the long run, it will allow for sound saving decisions, which frankly have been missing, Michael, for 15 years, 15 years. It's been very hard and it's been very hard for older retirees who have had to depend on incomes, who saved responsibly and then looked to their savings and said, wait a minute. 2%, I can't live on 2%. What, what's going on? And the government's lowered these rates and there's a little bit of anger over that, which, which is understandable, but the broad economy had to be kept alive through some very difficult times. So Jim, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap here. You're wonderful to be with us, but uh, so we're gonna have to invest. 
through 2022. It's only mid-February. It doesn't it seem a lot longer? Oh my God, I feel like this. I feel like I've spent six months so far here in 2022. And here I am, February 16th. Great. Fabulous. 17th, February 17th. So uh, how do you invest? You expect a positive year. What parts are going to be positive? What parts are going to be negative? And where should Fred and Ethel find comfort? Yeah. Well, to start with, the volatility is courtesy of the Fed. They have now created a backdrop in which any market news is likely to be more amplified in the market by, by movements to the downside and to the upside. That's why so far this year has seemed so long. Um, however, there are good news that can and will eventually come out. I don't know what's going to happen with Russia and Ukraine. I'm not making a prediction. But actually, if there is detente that is reached, that will be something that the markets will react to quite positively. On the other hand, who knows what's going to come out of Congress in, in regards to build back better or build back smaller or whatever the name of the bill is. But tax increases are back on the table. The markets may throw up on that a little bit. Yep. On the other on the other hand, you know, I mentioned earlier, Omicron clearly is fading and the impact of the virus globally is set to really wane. That should incite and ignite economic activity that will pull the markets higher. What I'm going at with this, I haven't even gotten to the midterm elections. I'm sure you'll cover that in, in uh, later segments today. But what I'm getting at with this is there will be a lot of ups and downs. This will be a year of three steps forward, two steps backwards. But it will be a year of three steps forward, two steps backwards, meaning volatile, but on net positive. So what you've got to do is stay invested. Now, I will say this. As individual stocks accelerate and get ahead of themselves, I am selling them. That's what I mean. That's what I'm doing in these volatile markets is finding individual stocks that are over and underpriced and buying and selling accordingly. But please, please stay invested. Please stay invested. Very good, uh, very good advice from our friend Jim Labenthal. And I think, right, you've got to keep an eye on these two forces. I think one very positive, the reopening. Um, uh, earnings have been good. Uh, the economy is still in pretty good shape. It's what the Fed does to tame inflation, and will the ta will the taming of inflation uh, take asunder the economy at large and lead us to recession? My point on CNBC yesterday was, it pretty much always has. It pretty much always has led to a recession sooner or later. Latter part of 2023, I still think we could see one. And even those are normal. And even through those, the best advice I can give, I think, tell me, Jim, is to stay invested. 100%. 100%. Jim Labenthal is a partner at Serity Partners, uh, a contributor uh, at CNBC, a full-time regular on the halftime report with Scott Wapner, who remains a friend of his, just in case anyone was worried about that after yesterday's uh, little, little, little toss up there. Uh, coming up, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst on the forecast. Please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. 
We hope that you will consider supporting heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We're glad you could join us this week on the Farcast. Now back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining us now, the great, the famous, the intelligent, the well-better-than-average-looking Dan Mahaffey. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. As I say, A.B. Normal. A.B. Normal, absolutely. And that's the type he is, folks. And isn't that nice? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 Dan, I didn't hear my uh, uh, reading and of, of a piece from P.J. O'Rourke about what it means to be a Republican, but um, uh, we're going to miss our miss our friend. And I know you knew him, uh, too. So uh, he's that's 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 it's it's sad. He, this is going to be a loss. But um, uh, he, the kind the kind of humorist who knew exactly how to skewer Washington and Washington types because he he took uh, uh, nothing nothing was sacred with him which was what you want in a humorist right he would take that stick and point it and shove it right into the most painful part uh, I, I love the anecdote apparently at the uh, at the, one of the Republican conventions where George H W Bush said he would seek the death penalty for drug kingpins P J O'Rourke turned to the person next to him and said even if the drugs are good and the prices are fair. <laughs> you see, I mean, he asked good questions. He, he he really did. Why would you say something like that? Dan, as we look at uh, at the political landscape this morning and on across the horizon, Russia looms large. It certainly seems like our Congress uh, Senate certainly getting bogged down a bit in not voting on Fed officials. Um, and uh, China is seems to be watching closely whatever Putin does to figure out perhaps what they can get away with. Uh, let's uh, let's start here with Russia. Is mm. Putin actually withdrawing his troops? The stock market liked it yesterday. Uh, the stock market liked it. Western intelligence, uh, several countries, the NATO secretary general, Ukrainians themselves all say they've seen no withdrawal, uh, perhaps some realignment of forces. Uh, but the signs actually show further escalation of forces, that they've moved uh, closer to the Ukrainian border in some areas. They've built a new pontoon bridge across some tactically important rivers. Uh, and also things that you see them building field hospitals and apparently moving blood supplies closer to the front. Those are things you don't do during an exercise. So that still has policymakers and the intelligence folks looking at this pretty worried. How do we know? I'm fascinated. How do we know when they move blood supplies to the front? That That's fabulous information. How do we know that? Well, some of that is built up over time. You have both uh, overhead surveillance from satellites. You, you look at those patterns. Uh, the technology you now have for imagery. Look, you even see how some of the news channels have commercially available satellite photos that are uh, amazing and what you can see yourself. And that's only a fraction of what the government capabilities are like. Uh, imagine the Hubble telescope looking the other direction so uh, do you down feel, at Earth. Do you feel so you have that and then you also intercept the radio chatter, things like that, signals intelligence. Is this de-escalating or not, Dan? I don't think this is de-escalating. This is I think not if anything, it's 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 a faint. I think look, Putin is struggling a bit to find 
his footing and regain the initiative on some of this. I think one of the things the administration has done smartly, uh, even if some have questioned the impact, is to release some of these plans and, and forethought that we start to get. It, it reveals Putin's plans, the idea of this, 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 these fake outs or false flags. Uh, also, too, the, the West remaining united on this. I think Putin didn't expect that as much as this has happened. Uh, what I will keep an eye on, though, Michael, over the next few days, look, we've seen Putin say that there's a genocide of Russians going on in eastern Ukraine. Uh, that is a, a narrative, I think, that they're building to build up a, a narrative or a, a causes belly if there is one. So that's what I'd continue to, to keep an eye on, because that is that eastern region of Ukraine where, the again, the fighting has been ongoing since 2014, and there is that large Russian population, and Putin always loves the idea of defending native Russian speakers. I spoke last night to a friend, uh, network anchor Leland Vittert, and we were discussing President Biden and his approach to Russia, and I had, I had posited that I thought that uh, uh, the president's position was fairly strong and consistent, and that I, I, I actually have been pleased to see President Biden taking such a strong stance on, on uh, against Russia here and issuing the warnings. I'm concerned that he won't follow through, that we've heard these warnings under President Obama, the line in the sand with Syria and other things that we just say early on and then don't follow through. So um, that's, that's sort of um, speaking loudly and carrying no stick. I hope right. we're not there. He suggested, Leland suggested, that uh, President Biden could take still a much tougher stance uh, and threaten much more severe sanctions and make things even more clear. And that really a coalition that includes Germany is much more difficult to attain than uh, it, sort of the press is, is, is making us believe. What do you mm -hmm. think about that? Uh, look, I agree with that assessment that it will be hard to bring on some of these European countries. I, I would say it's an accomplishment of what they've done thus far, getting the Germans this far. Uh, part of what we've seen that's different between uh, now compared to the 2014 invasion of Crimea is we remember the timeline in 2014 was they invaded Crimea and then it took months to get the Europeans together on a package of sanctions. By the time there were consequences, uh, Russia had already reestablished and rewritten the map. Uh, this time, you're you're being uh, pre-prepared. You're pre-positioning this in some way. And look, the, the Germans are going to have their own reticence. Uh, some of the energy stuff you can't do without really reshaping the, the supplies for Europe. And we also forget, too, the, the, the tricky part, you know, some of this uh, in Germany, they can't announce because the companies involved could preemptively sue the government. Uh, that's a there's a there's an issue there within German law if you really get in the weeds. All of this, I think, though, is saying what what Putin really wanted to do was fracture NATO uh, in advance. We can get to the implementation of sanctions, and does everyone go as hard as we want them to? Uh, that's an open question mark when the time actually comes if the balloon does go up. That said, keeping NATO on the same page has been pretty impressive. It's been pretty impressive. Uh, did I hear that Germany was uh, not even permitting flyovers, supply flyovers? Uh, is that true? Look, there's the, the governments involved denied that Germany wasn't permitting it. Uh, they did have to fly around German airspace. The, the explanation that was given is that it just took 
more paperwork to fly explosives through German airspace than it did through Polish airspace. Um, well, that's interesting. But uh, so keeping that coalition together is going to be uh, is is going to be tough as we come back to the and, and look, I would say some some would argue one that Biden has seen this as an opportunity to that they need to show some more spine here after Afghanistan, that even if they won't admit it publicly, that they do need to show a little more resolve after what the world saw in Afghanistan. And, and two, that this kind of crisis is one that Biden, with experience on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee back to the Cold War, still understands that kind of superpower brinksmanship uh, type of, of diplomacy and, and saber rattling. Give me the odds, Dan, that uh, Russia goes into Ukraine. Seventy percent they go in. Seventy percent still. Is that higher or lower than you were a week ago? Uh, I'd say it's about the same. About the same. So you don't you don't you don't buy yes. any you don't buy any of this pullback stuff or you think I don't buy any. I don't buy any pullback until I see stuff on February 20th, which is the date they've said that they would have pulled everything out of Belarus. So this is just a, this is a head fake kind of a thing. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as you look uh, domestically and what we're doing with inflation and Congress, uh, is uh, anything going to get done in Congress right now until Senator Lujan returns? Uh, very little. They're not going to have much before this March 1st uh, State of the Union. Uh, all the competitiveness legislation, that's uh, going to go into conference and, and not be done till later. Uh, these inflation numbers continue to kill Build Back Better, even if you thought it was uh, some had some glimmer of life. Uh, I think their big focus is going to be these competition packages. Uh, and then ultimately, we start to see some kind of deal. I don't think we have... we lest we forget government technically shuts down uh, this weekend. I don't think we're going to have a shutdown, but just the the strokes of a deal and how that gets done just require a little bit of Senate magic because there's going to be some votes. Uh, but all this, again, as you said, is made trickier by the absence of Senator Lujan. Okay. We're going to be watching, too, what's going on with inflation. Uh, we've been hearing from Secretary Yellen that uh, she thinks the Fed can handle this. Uh, is, is Secretary Yellen clearly representing the White House's position, do you think? Uh, the White House's position and probably being glad she's not the Fed chair. Uh, no question about that. No question about that. We'll see how they, how they get through this. And this is something, of course, we're going to talk with our next guest, Tony Fratto, about uh, what he thinks is really go going on with inflation. We've been hearing from various Fed officials and senior former Fed officials who said, Please don't say refer to me as anything more than a senior former Fed official. Uh, that they think that this is a very uh, difficult needle to thread. I said, "Aren't isn't it always a difficult needle to thread?" He said, "This is a narrower needle than they've had almost than I'm in, in memory uh, to thread." So many ways to get it wrong. I said, "Are they going to get it wrong?" He said, "Yeah, probably they're going to get it wrong. They usually get it wrong," and um, uh, so. Uh, perhaps a recession and somewhere out there. Uh, but it doesn't look like we're going to hit that economic real air pocket. It doesn't look like an economic air pocket prior to the 2022 uh, November elections. You're calling still for a, uh, for a significant Republican win in the House, Dan? Yes, I think the, the signs still point to that. The Senate, again, much closer. It depends on who some of the nominees are. And Give us your count for the House change in seats. 
Oh, I think the Republicans pick up about 40. 40. Whoa. Okay. It's a big number. You know, I've been listening to my friend, Greg Valliero says maybe 15. He thinks it's going to be tougher, but uh, uh, we'll see. Well, I'm going to ask Tony Fratto about that too. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency in Congress, our senior political analyst on the Farcast. Thank you so much, Dan. So another great week with you. And hang You're out. You're always with, welcome. Hang out Thanks. with Fratto. You can yes. always throw down. I always want to listen to Tony. I'll be okay. here. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back with our friend Tony Fratto from Hamilton Place Strategies. Uh, if you're a Washingtonian uh, or outside of Washington and want to find out what's going on on Capitol Hill and with economics, you find Fratto as quickly as you can. So we're going to be back. Stay with us. Thanks for listening in on this week's edition of the Farcast. We hope you'll join us next week with Michael's scheduled special guest, Liz Young from SoFi. And now, to this week's special guest, Tony Frado, and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Tony Frado is, is one of the great Washington insiders. He spent time in the Treasury Department, the White House. His experience uh, in domestic and international economic policy is really unparalleled. He has a fabulous firm at Hamilton Place Strategies. If you need to get something done in Washington, really need an insider's insider, you're not going to find many people any better to get it done than Tony. And it's and it's not only that folks, and I, I, I know this sounds too fluffy, but he's uh, it, it's not only that he's a charming, nice guy. You can hear that when you hear him on the Farcast. Um, he gets it. It's that he understands the policy, he understands the economics, and he understands how this stuff works through the Fed and the Treasury Department and Congress. So your issue is in the hands of someone who has 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 done it. I and mean, it just seems going to uh, Tony just seems to be the best way to short circuit your agenda and get things done. Hey, Tony, welcome back to the Farcast. Yeah, thanks for the very, very uh, kind introduction, Michael. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. Uh, always. Tony, the economy's doing okay. The Fed said, the Fed said in their minutes that we are at maximum employment. Maximum. They didn't say we're nearing it. They said we're at maximum employment. Yeah. Uh, and so they don't, that tells me they don't expect a whole lot of uh, increase in the labor force participation. And uh, so this is the workforce and we just have to pay them more. I don't know. What did you make? What do you make of where we are with inflation and the economy and everything? Give us your view. You're, well, you're right. Like, it's funny. If you look at the, if you look at polling on this, um, <clears throat> you know, we saw, we saw a poll yesterday where uh, Gallup polled. That's a question that they've run forever for decades. Uh, you know, how do you think about your personal situation relative to how do you think the economy is doing overall. And it's as wide a disparity as we've ever seen, where people feel pretty good about their personal situation, but they're very, very sour on the economy. And in fact, it's like down at levels that we saw back during malaise, you know, uh, where we had, you know, you know, not just high inflation, higher inflation than we have today, very high sustained inflation, but also high unemployment and high interest rates and, uh, uh, you know, job loss. And uh, and that's the way people feel right now. But you know, you're right. Look, the, the economy is broadly doing pretty well. You know, we are seeing job creation. Um, I think we're the the pace of job creation is you know got uh, gets uh, 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 you know disrupted by what we saw with Delta and then Omicron. But I don't think there's any question that jobs are coming back. I think they're I think they're uh, messaging on full employment 
to condition the field for um, you know action on the policy rate and for and for uh, removing monetary accommodation. I think that's a that's an exercise, and they're going to pretend to be surprised by increased participation. I think, I think participation is going to come back, and um, I think you can you can sort of feel it uh, this this spring. But inflation is not going to go away anytime quick, and I think they they have a hard time. Um, they have a very hard time dealing with this. You know, if you said uh, that, you, you know, when you talk to former senior Fed officials, they're expressing how challenging it is. And of course it is uh, to be able to, you know, to withdraw accommodation in this scenario. You, you know, everyone knows how to make inflation go away. You do it with a shock. But we know that we, when we've done shocks in the past, we've caused recessions, and they want to try not to uh, create a create a recession. When, what are the odds, Tony, that they don't create a recession? I think I think they can bring. Uh, I, I don't think a recession is in is in the cards. I think there's just too much economic activity going on right now. Even if, as they withdraw accommodation, we say withdraw accommodation, right? We're at the we're you know it's free money still. It's still, still it's still free money. You know, I mean, the the, the well, it's a negative rate of return adjusted for inflation. We still yeah, gotta, you know, yeah, that's true. To take money. Yeah, so so look, they're gonna get, they're gonna take the rate off the floor, and they're gonna, um, you know, we're gonna see in you know, in housing will be really interesting. You know, if they're if they are uh, uh, withdrawing support for for you know mortgage backed securities, which they are, uh, you know, we'll see what that does to uh, to mortgage rates if it cools off housing a little bit. But we have, you know, we have some, we have, we have a, we have structural dynamism right now. We still are, you know, we are seeing uh, that movement from goods to services. I don't know if you if you saw, like, you know, a really interesting uh, earnings report last week was Disney. You know, yes. right now everyone was really excited about the subscription numbers for their business model, which made a lot of sense. Yeah. It kind of glazed over the fact that they had record attendance at the resorts at the theme record. parks that was huge huge record attendance right yes. that's what is going to be happening right that's what we're looking at saber systems a client of hps saber does all the plumbing for the you know uh, or a lot of the plumbing for travel and and uh, and tourism the 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 um uh, you know the plumbing behind when you're making reservations and they had you know, a really strong uh, report, and they're optimistic about uh, about the about the future. So travel is coming back. Your neck of the woods down in Naples, Florida. Uh, when you're down, when you're down there, uh, you're going to see economic a lot more economic activity coming back there. So I just think that's what we're going to see. So it is an environment where, you know, the you know easing back on accommodation by the Fed. This economy should be able to power through that, barring some uh, some other kind of you know some other uh, uh, disruption. The, another the, variant, for example. Another variant. You know, the concern is that uh, uh, they have their initial moves. They move uh, slowly and deliberately. In uh, uh, the inflation rate comes down to four percent. They back off. It takes off. Inflation takes off again. And then they've really got to double down and go harder. And that's when they throw us into recession. Almost, almost every time we've been through one of these rate uh, tightening cycles, we do end up in a recession. And when you study the recessions, uh, there's a bear market typically on one side or the other of the recession. It's not always before the recession. Sometimes it's after the recession. Typically, a recession does show you that the, bear, the market doesn't react positively. But 
these things happen too, folks. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is all part of normal economic, uh, uh, normal economic cycles. And the Federal Reserve could, could do it, but the odds are not high that they will. So this is a time that I just keep telling investors, you know, I, I, they, they, they tell me I'm the old stodgy guy. On, I was on CNBC yesterday for the halftime report. And on Twitter, the people refer to me as old money. Uh, <laughs> old money. That's I refer. It. You're the OG. You're the you're original gangster. You're the, you're the original. Yeah, you're the you're the Michael Farr is the OG. The OG. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, as 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 old money, uh, as an old money approach investor, you stay invested and you look for balance sheets and you look yeah. for things. Look, I've owned Johnson and Johnson for thirty years. I've owned Johnson and Johnson for thirty years. I hope that my Johnson and Johnson and my portfolio will put my grandchildren through college. I don't ever believe, I mean, I hope I never, ever have to sell it. I hope I never, ever have to sell my Microsoft. I've got a very long list yeah. of those companies. I never want to sell. And that isn't to say that I set it and forget it. I don't do the Ron Popeil, of course. I, I'm, I'm watching. I've got a full team of analysts who read every quarterly report, who look inside every one of these companies. And if something starts to stink, uh, will I sell Johnson and Johnson? You betcha, I will. Yeah. Uh, but you, got, uh, you have to see evidence of. It. I mean, that's it. That's what I always loved about the way you you look at these things is that we've seen. Think of everything that we've seen over those past thirty years. Right. Yes. All the changes in the world that have happened. At the end of the day, good companies are going to find a way to succeed in whatever the environment is in front of them, and that's so. That's you know that's what you need to focus on, right? And it's so frustrating when you get through. And ladies and gentlemen, this is going to come. This is what you're going to hear. And I bet you're going to hear it starting in the, probably you're really going to hear it loudly in the third quarter. I'm just telling you, historically timing, this is what you experience during an inflationary period where numbers will start to miss. Numbers will start to miss because the supply chain has gotten much more expensive because of the inflationary pressures. And you you hear the CEOs one after another come out with their sort of missed earnings and disappointing earnings and saying the inflationary pressures were much tougher than we had imagined. What are you, stupid? Every every fourth grader knows that a Milky Way bar is now a dollar fifty. And you you just figured out that it's that it's I mean, come on. Storytelling. Uh, yeah. 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 So yeah, you got to imagine you you got to manage through this, and the most successful companies ultimately ultimately do. What are you advising people who come and talk to you about their agendas for Washington? Uh, like to stay balanced, right? I mean, like and and, and to not uh, not get too high, not to get, not get too low on this stuff. You know, talk to the, the first most important thing I tell everybody, every one of our clients about Washington, is that there's a knowledge deficit on almost everything. Right. And uh, yes. there's a there's a there. And, and, and I don't mean that as a criticism, like there's a, people like make to make fun of members of Congress when, you know, they're they're questioning a technology executive. And it's like, oh, wow, they are they, they don't know. They don't know technology. You know, well, from that technology meeting, they're going to a agriculture meeting and then right. they're, they'll get briefed on Ukraine. And right. So like there's a there's a, there is a, there's a time deficit there's a knowledge deficit so the number one thing you can do especially when you don't need anybody down here is to just educate them to come in spend time with them and teach them what your industry is what the pressures are in it what the environment looks like 
help them if you can give them a window on the world, you know, and it's like one of the things if you're a bank or a payment company or even a lot of the industrials, you come in and say, hey, look, I want you to love to come in and talk to you, but tell you what we're seeing out there in the economy, teach them some things about what they're what they're seeing, and they're going to think, they're going to think well of you. And they're also going to understand your business better. So that when the discussion comes about an SEC regulation or a tax bill or a trade agreement or a climate bill or whatever it is, the, the people who could help you down here and represent you and understand, you know, make, make policy, they're going to do it with some sense of knowledge. And so that's the obligation these guys, they have, they just have to build those relationships and talk to people here and make sure that they're not misunderstood. And it's drinking from the fire hose. It's one of those things about Congress that people forget. You know, you're you're a successful uh, car dealer in Kansas who's always been patriotic and you've made enough money and you say, I want to give back to my country and I want to represent my state and I want to represent my district and I run for Congress and I come to Congress and all of a sudden you're in the middle of 2008 and 2009 in a banking crisis. I, I called this, I, I, I was, uh, I call this sleeve grabbing. When I was down on Capitol Hill for CNBC during that whole period, I'm walking through because we would do these stand-ups in the Capitol building, a lot more of them back then. And uh, members of Congress, even senators, would grab my sleeve as I would go by, Michael, do you have a minute? Can, can you just tell me what a credit default swap is and what, and what, what has just gone on? You yeah. can't expect this wonderfully bright, successful business person who's there from Kansas to represent her district to understand what the hell a credit default is. Hell, two years before that financial crisis, I'd never heard of a credit default swap. In AIG, one of the most sophisticated companies in the world, didn't even know they owned them, didn't even know they owned them and were writing them. So uh, uh, sometimes right. our expectations are a little unrealistic of what these people are supposed to know. And yeah, be but just have a look. The thing is, if you can't, criticizing them isn't going to help you. You can't shrug and give up, right? You just, you just have to go on the next, like tomorrow and find another person to go teach and talk to and help help them understand what, you know, what's going on out there and it's because uh, because the day will come when you need them. Uh, absolutely. And and uh, throwing the bums out is really not the solution. It's the easy answer, but it's not the solution. So, Tony, thank you. And God bless you for being in there to, to educate and to bring the issues of constituents from all over the country and the world to help educate uh, our, our members of Congress and Senate and so forth. Um, Tony, your view then for the year is constructive. You don't see recession. What sort of GDP numbers do you have for this year? And do you think the Fed will be able to contain inflation? How many rate hikes? How do they do this? Oh, I, I'm, uh, it's a, well, it's a, it's a bunch in there, right? So I, I, I am constructive, right? I do think that, I do think we're gonna power through this is one thing that we've uh, always seen with this, uh, with this economy is that we can we can generally do it i agree with you that the 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 fed has a has a tough job and and you're you're absolutely right that every i think every other time they've tried to do this it's led to uh it's led to uh recession or the components of a financial crisis you know? yes. so if it hasn't led to a recession soon it's created the the environment for a financial crisis so getting it right i think is a uh, it's not the most likely outcome but that's where i that's i think they are going to be able to do it because we've never seen these economic conditions which are 
still pretty powerful economic activity with a lot of support coming in a lot of uh, in a lot of different directions. I think they're getting help on inflation uh, in a couple of areas. One is it, it is some of the supply chain uh, issues that are that are going to recede, some base effects that are still receding. And also, you know, the uh, dollar strengthening is um, is helping them also. So they're getting help in in areas that don't require them to actually, you know, have you know do anything yet. That said, how does Hannah just to stop one second? You, the, how does the dollar strength help there? Uh, I, I think that's an interesting point. Just can you explain for Fred and Ethel how that how that helps? Yeah, because we I mean, look, we're still we're still a great importing country, right? And so we're um, so you know uh, when uh, when the you know dollar weakness uh, means that those things that we're buying to bring into the country are more expensive, and that that raises you know that's a that's a higher price on uh, on things. A strong dollar means we're buying those same things at a uh, at a at a cheaper price. So right. Yeah. Right. So we can still get cheap TVs and cheap uh, car parts and even cheap semiconductor chips if we can find them available to buy. Find, I, yeah. Look, that, that's not going to solve itself right away. Right. That's a no. there are like 2023, 2024 solutions and the demand for those things. It's not just that, um, you know, uh, there's uh, it's not like the COVID stopped production of, of these things. They're actually producing more of them. Demand is off the charts and demand is, uh, I think, a vertical wall on right on for semiconductors like i mean it's a vertical wall there is no for as far as the eye can see with what's going on with 5g with internet everywhere semiconductors will be in everything you use and so you know semis i think are a great you know long term bet for people that's not gonna that's not gonna go uh that's not gonna go away and we tend to build we tend to create um ways to use them when we're oversupplied anyway. So. No question about it. Tony, come back to me. Give me an idea of GDP for this year and inflation for this year, and we've got to go. I'm looking at uh, 3% on GDP. Uh, inflation still about well above. Uh, I think I think we're in the still in the four around the 4% uh, range this year. And I'm looking at uh, no fewer than four rate increases. No fewer than four. I think four. I think three or four will do it. I really do. Uh, I hope that the Fed uh, doesn't overshoot by too much because of all those other factors that are going to be somewhat self-correcting uh, that, that, that you mentioned. And to an extent, inflation can cure inflation. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Tony, just while you, because you are such a fabulous Washington insider and talk to all these folks, uh, Dan Mahaffey thinks we have a huge pickup on Republicans in the House. Maybe even the Senate's going to be close. What's your prediction there? I heard Dan's prediction, and I and I agree. I think Dan said forty, uh, 40. in the House and a, and a, and a few in the Senate. I think maybe is- maybe the Senate. What'd you say, Dan? Senate. I'm still holding out my prediction because I want to see who comes through some of these primaries. So, like Pennsylvania, right? That's, I want to see the Pennsylvania primary, the Democratic primary in Wisconsin, who challenges Ron Johnson. Those okay. are those are ones where we who's going to be? Uh, do you get the center right, center left candidate? Or do you get the 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 Twitter candidate? Right. You no, know, I had a I, I actually so I you know I had breakfast with a uh, former uh, you know former senior House Democratic person uh, this morning before before the show, and uh, and they're pretty resigned to uh, the fact that it's going to be a pretty significant loss for them uh, later this year. Um, yeah, not, I, th- I think the, the, 
Yeah, the, the retirements are an interesting tea leaf uh, as you look at it uh, with the Democrats. And then the only thing I would add to Tony's excellent advice when meeting with the congressman, always remind them how many people you employ in their district. That's always that's always very, always very helpful. Uh, Actually, I'll give one more one more extension on that, though, is that because of uh, it used to be easier to give that number and uh, know know how many suppliers you have in your district also, because uh, the, the, you know, the supplier yes. network, if you think of a company like uh, Boeing has 15,000 suppliers in the country, they've got people everywhere, know your supplier network too. Tony, does this huge shift in Congress, uh, I mean, certainly the House and perhaps the Senate, does that turn the President Biden's agenda into a lame duck agenda after November? I think it does. Um, I think they missed opportunities. You know, they've missed opportunities on their agenda uh, already because they were, you know, unwilling to, you know, take what Manchin wanted to give them. Uh, they, they, you know, they they should have been notching victories rather than trying to load every, you know, last creature onto the ark. You know, they should have said only some of you are going to only some of you are going to survive this um but we'll come back with another we'll come back with another boat trust us and they didn't do that and so they're not going to get anything uh they're going to get much on the boat and uh and i think uh, they're going to have uh, an impossible time in uh in uh in the last two years of the biden presidency and it becomes just a rhetorical war at that point it's a shame when folks don't recognize good enough and it can really uh imperil uh, your whole agenda. Tony Fratto founded Hamlet Place Strategies in 2009, a Washington insider's insider and one of the nicest guys you're going to meet. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another forecast. We will be back next week helping you interpret and helping us understand Wall Street, Washington, and the world in Naples, Florida for the forecast, Farm Miller in Washington, and Hightower Advisors. I'm Michael Farr. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. And thanks to Michael's guest, Jim Labenthal, Dan Mahaffey, special guest, Tony Fratto. We love hearing from you every week, and we try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions can reach us at hjennings at farmmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed and provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not office employees or agents of Hightower Advisors or Bar Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Bar Miller in Washington, Hightower Advisors, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help. I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio 
and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Please share the podcast with friends and colleagues. Go beyond the headlines each week with the podcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farmiller and Washington LLC is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farmiller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC have not independently verified accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farmiller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representation or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements, errors, or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farmiller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farmiller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisor for related questions.